is a ever-present pursuit of entertainment, education, and some adjective to be named later. The Homestar Army proudly presents Trek West 5, a conglomerate podcast of science fiction, politics, humor, and pretty much whatever else we want to talk about. Trek West 5 is brought to you in part by RocketWebDesign.com, custom web design at template website prices. Designs by DD.blogspot.com, your online home for all your digital scrapbooking needs. Need a home along the Wasatch Front? Contact Lisa DeBagere with Kirkham & Friends Real Estate. No one will work harder for your home. And thehomestarmy.com, blogging to the world since 2004. Your hosts for Trek West 5 are Joey and Peter. Good evening and welcome to Podcast 108. I'm Peter. And I am Joey. And uh, we're at the secret uh, bunker. Secret location. Season wrap-up. Yes, and uh, I don't have any hot chocolate yet, but don't worry, I will be getting some. <laughs> you know, I think they took the hot chocolate machines out. What? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was going to say, this podcast is over. <laughs> that, that's, if, that's what you're in it for from week to week, huh? If, if the Nasher doesn't get his, uh, his hot chocolate on season wrap-up, this is not going to go well. This is gonna. There's gonna be a lot of bloodshed, um, and uh, a lot of unhappy children. Okay, good to know. Um, okay, well, uh, good week for you, Joey. Yeah, very, very fun week. Uh, I took three days off of work. I, you know, little air quotes there because I was called every single day and asked to do several things. But I was technically I was at home uh, with my son because my wife and daughter went to Girl Scouts camp, which apparently consists of. Fully made cabins, uh, a, a, P, a PX kind of store that even accepts credit cards. Oh, good for them. Hot showers. <laughs> I just, it's a different oh, definition of camping than the one I was familiar with. Uh, I think technically we had hot uh, showers, but there was never any hot water in them. <laughs> um, which uh, would explain why I think I only ever took one shower on uh, when I was in my scout camp. I never went to a scout camp that had plumbing. <laughs> nice. Well, that's... I feel like that's still scout camp. Okay. That's good. Okay. Um, they, uh, your wife and daughter were telling me, though, that the, they were, like, in a tent. And, like, the squirrels were coming right into the tent. Yeah, my, my, my wife calls it a tent. It had four walls and a hardwood floor and a canvas top. That, to me, is a cabin. Well, what were the walls made out of? Wood. <laughs> and a canvas? And a canvas top, apparently, yeah. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's what happens when you let the Girl Scouts go build the cabins. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think... They're going to kick my I, daughter I think, out of Girl Scouts, aren't they? <laughs> I, I think we've answered the question as to why uh, uh, Flamingo has stopped uh, participating on our podcast. Okay. <laughs> All because of you and your sexist comments. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for me, it's a good week. I just uh, I took the day off. Uh, this weekend oh, right. yeah. is... Um, you know, I was wondering why you sent me a message at like 3 in the afternoon saying you were going to go take a shower. That, that was weird. No, that was at noon. Okay. At noon. Um, yeah, this weekend is uh, in Utah what is known as... It's a, its own Utah holiday called Pioneer Day, which celebrates when uh, the pioneers made their way into the Salt Lake Valley and settled. Um, and so July 24th is is that big time. So 
our work is giving us off Monday, which I think, okay, we financially must be doing better if uh, they're going to just say, ah, you know, take a, day take a day off. We'll pay for it. Um, and uh, so I decided, you know what? I've got like 60, 70 hours of PTO. I'm going to take Friday off and nice. make it a four-day weekend. So I didn't get up till 10, leisurely cooked a breakfast, took a shower at 12, nap at 3. <laughs> it was uh, pretty pleasant. Pretty pleasant for me. Good. Yeah. I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow because I'm fully rested now and Saturday is like, eh, I don't know. I'm sure you find some yard work that needs to be yeah, done. Yeah, that's true. I do have plenty of yard work. Uh, okay, so any other announcements? No. I think we've taken care of all of our Facebook uh, Find of the Week award winners. Yes. Or current, <laughs> as of today, finally. Uh, as of this recording. <laughs> sorry. I have not announced the new one yet. So Again, sorry about that, money bags. Uh, we, uh, we just forgot. Yeah. I, I just honestly can't remember. Once the podcast is uploaded and everyone can download the files, I go to bed and I forget about the podcast for a good 24 hours. <laughs> Um, okay, so let's uh, where we can start with Facebook Find of the Week. Then? Actually, we're going to start with just a little bit of a front matter here. Okay, uh, it has been asked on the podcast before why the jump gates are the colors that they are. Mm. Why are they orange and blue? There is an answer to that question. According to J. Michael Straczynski, as for the coloration of the jump gate, the wave effect is red shifted when you enter a jump gate, and blue shifted when coming out. We had it slightly out of phase in pilot. It's since been corrected to match the correct shift. Reddish or orange for a red shift when entering a gate. Bluish for blue shift when emerging. So there's actually hard science behind why. Hard science on something they made up completely that doesn't actually exist. Red shift and blue shift are real. Yes, I believe that red shift <laughs> and blue shift can be real because those are you know colors within the light spectrum. But... Why was I don't feel like we got an answer out of that. All I feel like is he's just saying, well, I'm just saying, when you first open one, it's redshift. And when you leave one, it's blue shift. No, no, no. That's oh, the way redshift works. That's the way redshift works. Okay. Um, all right. Facebook find of the week now, then? Facebook find of the week is going to go to Tron, how it should have ended. <laughs> <laughs> really? Okay. I got a laugh out of that. That was hilarious. Even even my son was bopping around to it. I was playing it over the speakers, and he was dancing to it. So That was funny. Who, uh, who was the one that uh, submitted that? That is one? our new listener, listener Chris. Oh. The, Christopher. The one we haven't given a name to yet. Yeah. The one that just joined us in the middle of this week, I think. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, I meant to ask you, before we get too far off here... There was somebody else who joined the Facebook group, a girl? Yes. That you seem to know, but I, I don't know that we've ever gotten anything from her before. We have, way, way back during Star Trek The Next Generation. It's my friend Sarah. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, we, I don't know that she regularly listens or anything. I, I think she just probably was on Facebook one day and saw us there and joined up just for the heck of it. I don't know. Oh. I, I have not heard anything from her since she joined. So A charity joining. Yeah. We accept those. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> anything that makes us appear greater than we are. Um, okay, so uh, listener, name to be determined later, um, is uh, the winner for this week. And congratulations. Um, we'll and be... if you haven't gotten email from us by <laughs> Tuesday morning... 
email to treklist5 at thehomestarmy.com and we will get your award out. Or you can just be little us on, uh, uh, on, on the, Facebook. On Facebook, as uh, listener Moneybags chose to do. <laughs> <laughs> Much deserved. I, I don't want there to be any question about that. <laughs> uh, okay, this brings us to Joey's Culture Corner. Uh, for Joey's Culture Corner, we're going to talk about Lev Grossman's book, The Magicians. I came across this uh, last year. Um, I think I may actually have mentioned it on the podcast, but according to my notes, I have not done a culture corner on it yet. This book has been described as Harry Potter for grown-ups. I think that is probably a little generous, over overstating it a little oh, bit. Oh, dang. I was about to say, oh, this is the adult version of Harry <laughs> Potter. It's, how saucy. It's Harry Potter for emo teenagers, <laughs> I think is how I would describe it. <laughs> Uh, the, the, the big idea behind the book is if you took your average person that grew up reading science fiction and fantasy novels and dropped them into a world as a morose, angst-driven teenager where all of the children's novels that they loved as a child were literally true. The, the, in fact, their favorite, his favorite series, which is a direct ripoff, and, and admittedly so, I mean, he, he's open about this. A direct ripoff of the Chronicles of Narnia. So you have a kid who grew up loving the Chronicles of Narnia. In the in the in the series, it's called the World of Fillery. I mean, it's it's Narnia. There's no question. I don't think in anybody's mind. Um, and he finds out in his like last year of high school or somewhere around there that he actually has magical powers. And there's this whole world of of wizards that can teach him how to be a wizard. And not only that, but the world of Fillory is a real place that he can travel to. And he goes there with all of his preconceived notions and his ill-behaved manners and his angst and everything. And there are side effects from that. You know, it's a, it's a world that was supposed to be for the innocent and lighthearted children. You send a teenager there and things don't go so well. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. All right. Uh, I enjoyed the book. I probably would not read it twice, but I'd give it a thumb up. Huh. Okay. All right. Uh, and so you're saying that uh, the the point of this book is, look, there's there is um, basically with, with your attitude, with the things that you bring into your world, there's going to be consequences that can damage other people and the world around you? Would you is that what uh, we should be getting out of the big I'd, idea? I'd say the big idea is more grow up already. You know, it, huh. it's, it's time to realize that the, while the things that you loved when you were a child were great for a child, there's a point at which you have to let those go and become an adult and join the rest of the world. Hmm. I don't agree with that premise, but... Uh... <laughs> Uh, okay, well, uh, if anybody's so inclined and wants to go read uh, a Harry Potter book for adults um, or angsty yeah, like emo teenagers. Harry Potter Year 9, I guess, is what you could call it. <laughs> um, all right, this brings us to episodes. We are going to be covering episodes 21 through 22 of Babylon 5 Season 2. And uh, we'll start off with episode 21, Comes the Inquisitor. Suddenly unsure of Delenn, Kosh sends for an Inquisitor. Um, okay, uh, I, I mentioned on the write-up here <laughs> that, uh, Joey, you were probably not going to enjoy this podcast a whole bunch. I, I will enjoy it regardless of what the rest of you think. <laughs> because the world is wrong, and Joey is right. <laughs> I, well, I wanted to start out by saying, 
I get what they're trying to do with this episode, but I just don't care for it. Okay. It wasn't one that I walked away with and thought, wow, that was really, really good. It was, okay. It, it does not move me in any degree. And I know that that's probably a little harsh for you to hear because this is, from everything I know about you, like your episode. You love this episode. It's like your I most have, favorite thing out there. I have three episodes in Babylon 5 that are tied for number one, and this is one of the three. Mm. Interesting thing, all three of them contain the same actor. Mm. The, the guy who uh, plays Wayne Sebastian. Alexander. Wayne Alexander, yes. Um, I will say this. I think that the as far as... Um, uh, you know the the bit part extra actor. You know the guy that they bring in. You know that you know is typically part of every script. He's probably one of the better actors. Like as far as an acting job, I think he did a reasonable job. I don't feel like you know he wasn't drawl in the last <laughs> thing. It was like oh, <laughs> you know the big the big ham that, that we were joking about last week. He he's nowhere like that guy at all. Um, he. He's clearly understands as an actor the, the thing that he needs to present. Yeah. I just think the character that was written is meaningless. Okay. So I in our discussion, if you know, if I go off on a tangent about this guy, I don't want you to think it has anything too much to do with the actor and the performance, present, the performance that he brings. Because I think he did pretty good with what he had, and I I, I like him. Okay. Um, okay, why don't we, uh, uh, aside from the, uh, you know, little apologies <laughs> that I just had to have there for, for Joey, um, let's jump into the episode. Okay. So, uh, Jacquard becomes a preacher. <laughs> Actually, it's really interesting. There, there, I went and I watched this episode for the first time. I got to watch this episode with the shooting script in my hand. And because I do love this episode so much, I... I tried to follow along with it. There have been more edits to this episode from the shooting script than any version, any, any of the other scripts I've come across. They completely reordered a lot of the scenes and they cut a lot of introduction scenes. So there was supposed to be an introduction that was somebody stopping Jakar in the hallway kind of thing saying, hey, where are you headed? Well, I'm going to go out to the Zocalo and I'm going to tell them, you know, they need to listen to us and we are still here and whatnot. And they, they actually cut that. I'm glad. Yeah, I think so too. And, and he actually talks about, you know, I, I, read, I read the script and we do the read out loud and stuff like that. And I realized oh, this scene, it, it just, it tells us what I'm about to tell you. So let's just cut it and let's just tell you. Yes, agreed. That's so I know, I know that's one of the criticisms that, for example, Jim has had over the, over the series is that I believe those too much are, of that. are criticisms okay. uh, that he's had. <laughs> Um, okay, the nice thing that I noticed about this uh, scene is that Veer is watching him. Whether Veer is sent there to watch him, we don't know. But nonetheless, Veer is watching him, and we do not see a look of disgust or hatred or, ooh, you filthy narn, on his face. No. And I think that that's worth noting. How would you describe the emotion we do see on his face? Uh, I, I don't uh, recall it that okay. well enough to... I just know that he w he wasn't like a, a venomous... He, he really looks sorry. Genuinely mm -hmm. sorry for what's going on. Yeah. In my opinion. Uh, yeah, and we're going to see their... Yeah. Uh, they meet together later on. Um, all right, so now we have uh, Jakar. 
he is trying to purchase weapons. And uh, he, you know, has this uh, little back and forth. I suppose that's the B plot in this. So I suppose we can yes. just quickly cover this. Yeah. Um, he, he has a conversation with the voice of Batman, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's going on with that guy's throat, but that was fun. Don't, don't let anybody say I'm not sentimental. Take 10% right off the top. <laughs> it sounded like an 80-year-old woman. <laughs> it, it sounded a little weird. Especially because the guy was so short. Yeah. I don't know why. And he didn't look old. It sounded like an old person's voice for sure. Uh, anyway, they negotiate and they get uh, you know some arms... Garibaldi's going to come by and help him out by saying, "Hey, look, I know this guy. He's going to deliver, you know, these these things for you, but don't bring it through Babylon Five. Yeah. And uh, then uh, Sheridan and Garibaldi use the Rangers to help deliver a message and get a message back, so that Jacar can continue to stay in the you know pseudo power that he has amongst the Narn." Yeah, fair there, enough. There's there's a little bit more I think to that scene between Garibaldi and Jakar, where he delivers in the data crystal. I I, just, I love that conversation where he says, "You you could have lied to me. You could have tried to hide this from me." Uh, the line that he gives is, "I always leave room in a conversation for people to disappoint me," and, and it just makes you wonder, you know, of all the interactions that he's had throughout the series where people have been dishonest with him or, or treated him unfairly, how you know what other conversation could have been had if they had played it straight the way Jakar did um, from season one we've always gotten this thing like oh Garibaldi's this you know top of the line security, security guy he knows everything that's going on and I never believed it never through season one not really much through season two this scene kind of helps me believe it Yeah, it's, it's that scene right there that I finally think okay fine I guess I can accept Garibaldi as... The security chief. Yeah. Now, not necessarily just <laughs> security chief, but this uh, uh, this implied feeling like, hey, he's got his finger on the pulse of everything. Gotcha. Okay. He, he's you know well-connected. He's out there. He knows what's going on. I was going to ask you what you think about the idea of a, a guy who's basically a, a policeman, a glorified policeman, having contacts that are smugglers, that are conducting illegal activity on a regular basis. And trading uh, favors with them. I'm okay with it as long as it's not under his beat, necessarily. Okay. So as long as it's on someone else's jurisdiction. <laughs> yeah. So he isn't, you know, he doesn't really have his hands that dirty. Okay. I, it's dodgy territory, to be sure. Okay. And then the last uh, uh, Jakar thing is the, uh, the meeting of Veer <laughs> and Jakar in the elevator. And, uh, you know, they come face to face. And... Veer turns to him and says, he, which Veer doesn't have to do anything at right. all. Right. Veer turns to him, though, and says, I am so sorry with the way everything's happened. I tried to get them to not do it. They would not listen to me. I am sorry. And Jakar is still wrapped up in his emotions of anger and sadness that I don't think he can truly appreciate the feeling that Veer is trying to express to him, which is sad, because of all of the Centauri that exist out there, <laughs> Veer's got to be one of the few <laughs> one of the good guys. that actually cares. Yeah. And uh, Jakar takes his knife, cuts open his hand, starts bleeding, and with every drop of blood, he's saying, dead, dead, dead. 
You know, one of my friends that I showed this to in that scene said, man, I hate postmodern art. Isn't <laughs> <laughs> <Not> weird? <laughs> um, I really enjoy the scene except for the cutting of the hand. Mm-hmm. When he does that and, you know, lets the blood fall, like, I get that Jakar is still wrapped up in his his anger. And, you know, it's... I get that, but I just found that part of the scene to be starting to go a little over the top. Really? A bit. Okay. That that part of it was just a little bit over the top. You know, I I, I think they could have done it in maybe a different way for Jakar still to be able to deliver the line of, you know, if you don't know how to apologize to them, then I can't forgive. Right. Um, which, I, I like that line, but I just, the, the bleeding stuff was... A little impractical as well, because I mean he's just ripped open a glove. The guy doesn't have you know money coming in all the time, and now he's got to go get this wound healed. Well, I think the healthcare on Babylon Five was free. Oh, is it? I think so. I don't. I don't know. There's that free clinic down and down below. <laughs> well, he's going to pick up several illnesses and get infected just on the trip down there. I see your point, but I just think that the imagery is so useful that it's worth it. You know, he he's the symbolism of each drop of blood. You know, is a thousand or a million lives for however many. And we don't even know how many Narn really, at the end of the day, died in this war. And it, it's showing that I don't know. There's just there, there's this sense of I literally feel them in my blood. That you know, here it is. Here it is, dripping right in front of you. And it makes the scene. It makes the scene so powerful with Veer's reaction at it. First of all. Like the fear that he's going to be stabbed. I mean, that was, you know, it seemed like a very real possibility there for a second. Nope, Jakar's going to murder Veer in the elevator. Great. <laughs> That'll go do wonders for his cause, right? But uh, the just the bitterness and the, and the hollow in his eyes and in his voice when he's, I cannot forgive. You know, he, he just, he said, it's not that I won't, I just don't know how. Any more than you know how to apologize to dead people, I don't know how to forgive your entire race for what has happened. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, I guess the... Should we call this the C plot? I can't remember. Oh, no, no, no. This is all part of the main plot. So the the Inquisitor comes and uh, or is going to be sent for. Delenn and Lanier go to see Sheridan to say, hey, look, you got to let this guy through. And, you know, don't ask any questions, just let him do his thing. And Sheridan obviously is going to raise an eyebrow at that and say, well, what? What's going on here? The forelines are important. If they're upset, <laughs> I want to know what's going on. Um, the, the comment is made by Lanier when uh, they're basically, they explain to Sheridan, look, Kosh is trying to make sure that the right people are in the right place at the right time. And Lanier says... Doing the right work for the wrong reasons makes the work corrupted. Yep. And I I haven't come to a conclusion, but that particular line made me think a little bit. Um, because I don't know that I fully agree with him. And I wanted to ask you if you necessarily agreed with that line. In that doing the right thing, so the end is is right, is good. It's holy, it's pure, it's whatever you want to define it. It is proper and, and good. But your motivations to get to that point 
can apparently corrupt the work itself. Making uh, what I think he's trying to eventually suggest is that the end itself becomes corrupted. Corrupted, yeah. How can that possibly be true? If the end thing that you were working towards is truly proper and good, how can that be turned because of your motives? Because the universe doesn't end the instant you achieve your goal. Well, I'm, I'm saying can, the goal itself, though. I, I understand. But what I'm saying is the goal, uh, once you arrive at the goal, things continue. Events continue. And if the goal was gotten to in the wrong way, things will come about at, down the line that corrupt the goal because of the way you got there. Yes, but you're, you're, I think you're suggesting something else that isn't in here because he says the right work for the wrong reasons, not the wrong way. I would say that they're so, equivalent. So, so the way that something gets done is how it gets done. My motivation for even doing it in the first place is what I'm talking about. How does your motivation, your reason for doing something, corrupt the thing that you're trying to do? Because the thing that you try, you're trying to do is a point in time. But your motivation continues through the thing you're trying to do and out the other side. Yes, but again, we're not getting to actions. No, no point in, in veer... Uh, sorry, not veer. Linear. Linear. At no point in Lanier's comment did he say actions. He said reasons. And reasons are an internal thing. It's not an external thing. But they they eventually will be expressed as an external thing. That's what I'm saying. <sighs> yeah, I, I know where you're making that leap. I just don't know that that's what's being implied. Okay. You're making that implication. I, I'm I, I, I would actually agree with you, though, that... It, and it depends on how you're looking at it. If you look at it as, is the goal really the end in itself? If the goal is the end in itself, then why you got there does not matter. If the goal is not the end in itself, but merely a step along the, the general concept of making the universe a better place over and then, over again. Then that's not fully the goal. Sure. Then I, that, I just... I had trouble with his comment there, and I don't know that it's... I was hoping for someone to point me either wrong or prove me right. <laughs> uh, and uh, I, I would agree with you that if you look at it as the goal is the end in itself, that you're right. What he said makes no sense. I just don't think that's how the Minbari think. They don't see the goal as the end. It's not consistent with with their portrayal as a race to say, okay, you know, the universe is at peace, everything is good, we can all go home now. You have to continue through. And it's the process of continuing through where eventually the motivation will leak back in and corrupt the work. That's my that's my belief. Okay, so you agree with me, but don't agree with me. I, I agree with you that if you look at it as the goal is the end, you're right. I just don't think that that's what the Minbari believe. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. So in walks um, what uh, I can only assume is uh, a 90s representation of John Travolta from the movie uh, in the 70s. Um, oh, shoot. What's the disco movie from the 70s? 
that John Travolta was in Saturday Night Night, Saturday Night Fever. Okay. Because what we see walking in is a man's platform shoes. (laughs) And what I'm just going to call a pimp cane. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I get that he's dressing in his period clothes. Yeah. You know, what he would have worn, you know, back when when we knew when he was uh, first taken. Uh, But still, I thought, why would you start out with the shoes? (laughs) The shoes and the cane automatically make me think about John Travolta and the movie Saturday Night Fever. You know, I've never watched Saturday Night Fever, so I I didn't go there. I haven't either because I know that it's a little uh, on the risque side. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But still, I know enough of it to know that platform shoes were big during that time. <laughs> anyway, we meet Sebastian, who uh, is uh, under the, uh, uh, the control of the Vorlons. And after some bit of debate and uh, wrangling by Sheridan, we come to find out his name is Sebastian. He was from London, 1888. And he's, you know been brought out from time to time to inquire about things for the Vorlon. And that's all he's going to tell. Yeah. And so then he is brought to, uh, he, he Delenn goes to meet him. We have another change in the script here. They actually had shot the scene of Delenn and Sheridan having this conversation. Sheridan saying I don't trust this guy. Something feels wrong about this. Don't go there. But they felt the pacing worked better if they did that as a voiceover as Delenn is entering the chamber. Mm, mm, okay. So I think that was another wise decision. And sure. A good change there. Sure. I agree with that too. Um, all right. So he brings her in and places manacles on her and is. No. She, she places manacles yeah. on herself. She's got manacles on, but she can take them off at right. any time that she likes. So in order for this Inquisition to go, which by the way, every time <laughs> I thought of that, I. I immediately thought of... Uh, Bell Brooks? No, Monty oh. Python. Um, you uh, you never expect the Spanish Inquisition. Oh. <laughs> See, so I, every time I saw... Who was it? It's Terry Gilliam who comes out and says, You never expect the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> I, I always go to the Mel Brooks, The History of the World. The Inquisition. What a show. <laughs> I, mean, I never saw that. No. <laughs> There's a musical. It's a musical adaptation of the Inquisition. Oh, fabulous! <laughs> That's really funny. Um, and so he starts to inquire of her, and his first question is, "Who are you?" So, having known since season one that what the what the shadow do to manipulate people is they come to them and ask them, "What do you want?" We know that that question is important. So so important that when. Sheridan asked Kosh the question pretty innocently in no, normal conversation yeah. in Hunter Prey. Kosh retorts, never ask that question. Now we're finding out the, the Vorlon have their own question that they will ask in the same manner. Who are you? Who are you? And, and the, the principle here is if you decide what you want before you know who you are, you are going to produce corruption. Mm. Um, there's, there's so much. I, I, you know, I wrote a page and a half here. I, I don't really want to sit here and read it all. Good, that would make <laughs> horrible podcast material, and I would fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's it's the battle between these two questions, and the way our internal monologue answers them. 
on a day-to-day basis mm-hmm. that defines the scope and the shape of our own personal life. Right. And, and it's one of the strong overriding themes now that we see of Babylon 5. Right. Who are you? What do you want? These seem to be the controlling forces, the two powerful controlling forces within the universe. Yes. Is these two things. And they seem to be pitted against each other. Uh, because they come from what sounds like opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, okay, I must say at this point, I just don't care for the whole exercise that he then takes her through. Because okay. I find it... A matter of fact, one of our listeners, uh, I think it was Brainy Smurf, who actually... He was able to verbalize, I think, a little bit better than, than what I can, so I'm not going to go to that great length, thankfully... But I am just going to say, I, I didn't care for the exercise that he takes her through. That Sinanon style. Yeah, I get that uh, he's trying, it's, a, it's an exercise of self-discovery, I think, mm-hmm. inevitably for Delenn, not necessarily for the Vorlon right. themselves. The Vorlon. I, I think they've made their decision, right? They have. Yeah. The, 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 you know, the way, the way Sebastian puts it to Sheridan is he says, the Vorlon are. They, they just are. They're, they are a force of nature. They are the universe given sentience. You know, he sees them as the end all be all, pretty much as God is the way mm-hmm. Sebastian views these people, yeah. these, this race. And like you say, the Vorlon have made their decision. The question is whether or not Delenn is willing to follow through on the things that they need her to do. Yeah. And I, I take umbrage at the, the way that they choose to do this. Because in my mind, Sebastian is a torturer, not a teacher. And I, I really subscribe to the teaching method as opposed to the torture method. Uh, but that's just me. I, I've had some you know, very effective teachers in my life, and I feel I learn from people who can appropriately teach, and that you know, it's a powerful movement for me in sure. my life. What he does, I just I despise. So let me read what Jim Michael Straczynski says. He's replying from the standpoint of the Inquisitor. Not necessarily, this is not necessarily what Straczynski believes, but the, the voice that he was trying to channel in this character. Mm-hmm. The pain is necessary because it's to consider laying down one's life. It's easy to consider laying, one's, laying down one's life intellectually when the pain and the agony bring it home. It's no longer easy. And there is no correct answer to the question, who are you? The only real answer is no answer. Because as soon as you apply someone else's term for it, you have limited yourself. Defined yourself in someone else's terms. So things in a refined, gentle... Sorry. Doing things in a refined, gentle, intellectual manner is the sort of thing Delenn is used to. She can handle that easily. The goal of Sebastian was to try and break her. That's not intended to be done gently. You don't break someone over a cup of tea discussing philosophical concepts and the nature of personal identity. Mm-hmm. It's also not terribly dramatic to watch. <laughs> because of her position, rank, and authority, she expected to be treated in a certain way, which is why it was important to treat her just the opposite. It's easy to put oneself into a grand prophecy to assume one has a destiny. To pay the price for that is something else again. Anyone can do the former. Very few ever do the latter. Um, I think the possibly unintended... Um effect is that they, I think, possibly were trying to get Sheridan to be able to bond with Delenn as well. 
because it seems as the two of them come out of this, because eventually Sheridan inserts himself into this and he becomes tortured as well, it seems the two of them have carried uh, what little bond they had before has grown a little bit bigger. And I, I think it's okay. strengthened. Okay. I, again, I say that I think that is probably the unintended result of what was going to you know, be there for Delenn. I don't know if they intended to eventually have Sheridan be brought in to be um, inquisited. <laughs> okay. The, the interesting thing is Sheridan starts off actually asking Sebastian, essentially, who are you? And Sebastian answers with a bunch of, you know, oh, I, you mm. know, the, these kind of, these platitudes, these labels, these definitions. But when you look at who, at what he does, you see who Sebastian really is. He is defined by the actions that he takes here. He has been taken by the Vorlon and sharpened down to the point of a blade that is to cut away all the crap around anyone who believes themselves to be chosen, so to speak. And he does it for a reason that I can really understand. And it's part of why this episode speaks to me the way it does. Because when I was in my life and I had lost faith in everything, I didn't believe in God, I didn't believe in people, I, didn't, I just thought the universe is crap and it's going to be crap and it's meant to be crap. We are here to be miserable. I did the exact same thing. I went out and I found everyone I could that I could make miserable because that made me feel better somehow to make sure that other people weren't believing in this stuff that I, you know, blamed for making me miserable that I, you know, I, I was, I believed it was a, a belief in God that had brought me to such depths in my life. So I can appreciate, I can understand the point of view and the portrayal of the character of Sebastian for that aspect to say, you know, I mean, Delenn says it, you know, you are a creature who has taken pain and given pain and has uh, enjoyed too much of the application of it. You have to destroy anyone else who has dreams because you weren't strong enough to live up to yours. Uh, I just want to go on record saying thank goodness Trek West 5 came along to heal you <laughs> and bring that belief back into your soul once again. Um, well, that's why you're my guitar. <laughs> uh, we come to find out at the end, uh, which by the way, you know, Sh uh, Sheridan and Delenn are proven to be the chosen ones. Um, or proved to themselves, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. They pass. And uh, we come to find out that uh, the true nature of Sebastian or his true identity is Dra Jack the Ripper. Yeah. And uh, I thought that was so dumb. <laughs> uh, I, I, I like, I, I bought the fact that they, you know, took some guy from the past, brought him into the future, and, you know, he was this kind of slimy, despicable guy who did, you know, bad things maybe. But the Vorlon found a use for him. But to turn him into Jack the Ripper did not work at all. You know, I'm, I'm trying to find. There was a. I knew you were going to say that, and I know that one of our listeners said it. And there was some good commentary from J. Michael Straczynski. G give me a minute to find this. I, I didn't include it here in my notes. Okay. And I just want to preface this by saying I understand this is not going to sway anyone whose mind is already made up. But if there's people out there who, like myself, were always kind of like, yeah, I think it was interesting that it was Jack the Ripper, but not really 
wowed by it. I didn't go, oh my gosh, such a great idea. It was the character that I was interested in. I didn't care where he came from, what his past was. But having read this, I, I kind of came around a little bit. J. Michael Straczynski says, I looked at who this historical figure could be, but no one else fit into the area I wanted. It was a decision born of necessity, not whim. I needed someone far enough removed not to have any current victim's family still alive. Someone known to a worldwide population. An anonymous killer wouldn't have worked. Because why would Sheridan have known about him? Why should we care? Why should it resonate? And we'd spend time explaining what he did that would have been meant cutting out other material in the episode. The other serial killers tend to have clear fates, whereas Jack vanished and is thus quote-unquote available to us. Visually, that period makes for a striking contrast to 2259 as well. And again, you have to look at who he was. A fanatic trying to clean up the Spittlefields, or Spittlefields, I guess no the, a good cause, by hatred, a wrong reason, and murder, wrong means. The exact thing Delenn warns against at the very start of the show. He's suggesting something that we don't actually know, though. He's giving a cause to Jack the Ripper that, to my understanding, we don't actually know that I, we Jack do. the we, Ripper We was have letters from Jack the Ripper to the London Times about why he was doing what he was doing. Do we? We do. We know why he was doing what he was doing. We don't necessarily know for sure who he is. We, we think we know. There's a pretty good educated guess at this point that it was a doctor. I forget the guy's name. Um, Samuel... Anyway. Samuel uh, Clements? Nope, not Samuel Clements. <laughs> that would have been awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, I, I think that when you look at it from that standpoint of he wanted someone who in our history was well-known, was a murderer, and had made the same mistake that they're accusing Delenn of potentially making here. I I just don't know that you need someone to be well-known. Okay. Okay. Um, like I said, I realize that that is not going to sway anyone yeah. whose mind was already made up. But there may be people who were on the fence a little bit about it, and hope maybe that will help them decide. Listener comments? Uh, before we get to listener comments, there is one thing I want to mention. Okay. The horrible dub. Was it the West End or was it the East End? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Bob's going to have something to say about this. Jack's murders took place in the East End of London, not the West End. Joe Michael Straczynski says, What happened is, basically, I'm a moron. I did my research. I called up the info on the encyclopedia, got all the dates right. My eyes saw East End, and for whatever stupid idiotic reason, my fingers typed West instead of East. And nobody, I mean nobody, caught it in the script. And actually, if you look in the script, it's in there as West End in the script. Uh, I'd loop it, but alas, the line is on his face, and it'd look stupid. <laughs> and the delivery is so perfect as it is. If we looped it, we'd destroy the delivery. So I content myself with the notion that it's West of Babylon 5. <laughs> now, if you'll yeah. excuse me, I'm going to go kill myself. <laughs> And, and he goes he goes on and on about you know people challenged him with this on the years over the over the years which is why it ended up looped is because just so many people came back and said no it'd be better if you loop it no one would even notice <laughs> <laughs> I I think that was the wrong decision yeah uh, well I think if they would have did a callback to have the guy redo his performance it might have been might have been better just in audio stuff as opposed to just you know. Dubbing in a line. Uh, I don't know. Whatever. And then the last thing before I go to listener comments, just as an interesting uh, production note, 
One of the Narn in the meeting with Jakar is played by a guy named Dennis Michael, a CNN reporter who was on set doing a story on Babylon 5's makeup team, Optic Nerve, and was made up as a Narn as part of his news story. So they snuck him into the scene. I thought that was kind of cool. for him. Okay, listener comments. We're going to start off with Bob, and he begins. Uh, Hi guys, I hope all is well, and that you had a great week. At time of writing, I am suffering from a cold, and my mother has decided to visit and is bonding with Spongebob. We'll see if she sends her email in on time. She did. (laughs) You're just stirring that pot, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) This has been an interesting week for us. We have almost completed watching season four of Babylon 5. Nice. And it seems I have become obsessed with its score. Uh, On a tangent... There has been a fair bit of discussion about who will play Jean Valjean in a musical version of Les Miserables. Uh, Hugh Jackman is touted as the frontrunner for the role. Do you have any suggestions? As Jean Valjean? Uh-huh. I have one suggestion. I'm not sure how well it'll work out. W. Morgan Shepard. <laughs> I was going to say Christopher Lee. <laughs> <laughs> That would be hilarious. <laughs> Wouldn't it? <laughs> He's so tall. <laughs> Certainly an imposing figure, which Jean Valjean is. Uh, the sad side is, I don't believe Jean Valjean is, you know, in his 70s. <laughs> That's always my go-to guy. When someone says, like, ah, who should they have put in there in his place? Always, I will say, Christopher Lee. Just because it's just ridiculous. I would like to see... Uh, Viggo Mortensen do, um, not Javert. I bet he could do a killer Javert. I don't know that Vigo has any singing ability, though. Yes, he does. I've never. He heard actually of has him. a music career. Oh, that's he sells cool. CDs. He has. He has a. I think he's in like a folk band or he's something like that. He's clearly not as good as Metallica because I've not heard of him. <laughs> All right, uh, Bob says. Comes the Inquisitor. I am not sure who, uh, what to make of this episode. It really does make the Vorlons out to be pompous and arrogant. I mean, who are they to decide who is fit to lead an army? I mean, seriously. It seems she is being put through this trial for no real reason. Bizarrely, this felt like a very standalone episode, even though it had a lot to do with the story arc. I did, however, like Jakar and the whole weapon smuggling. He is working to help his people. There is something admirable. Oh, and one thing I can't forgive is when Sheridan and Ivanova are talking about Jack the Ripper, he mentions that there were murders in West London. Jack the Ripper was notorious in East London, specifically the Whitechapel and Brick Lane area. The dubbing is really bad. For me, living in London, this mistake is unforgivable. (laughs) It was an okay episode, fairly middle of the road. I give it an 8 for sci-fi and 6 for television. Okay. Seems pretty high if it's just middle of the road. <laughs> 6 is about the middle of the road. 8 for science fiction? <laughs> uh, okay, so Moneybags says, I'm just not buying this storyline. The Vorlons, who are telepathic and vastly more powerful than any of the other races, need a human serial killer with a pain stick? To determine if Delenn and Sheridan are the chosen ones? And he does it in one interview? (laughs) Come on. Aren't they part of the prophecy? Why would Kosh have any doubts at all? 
unless this was done for the benefit of them to prove to them that they were indeed the right people. But even so, this is a little silly. Physical torture? How pre-9-11 of them? People will say anything to make physical pain end. Having said that, Wayne Alexander does a great job as the Inquisitor, and the scenes are well written, but it feels a little forced. We have to bring in a special character to interrogate Delenn and Sheridan about their mission? I would have rather seen some of this in Delenn's scenes with the Great Council. As for Sheridan, well, he barely figures into this storyline anyway. Sebastian seemed to be expecting him, but he rarely even speaks to him. Also, using Jack the Ripper as a plot device is a trifle overdone, and again, very forced. Good thing Babylon 5 has 19th century English telephone books on file. <laughs> I, I roll my eyes at that every time. <laughs> on to Shakar's plot. It was okay. Again, Doyle seems to do better when paired with Jakar or Londo. I enjoyed his scene with Jakar. It was weird to see Jakar in the opening scene shouting at people in the corridors. I finally put my finger on it. This show aired just as the internet was getting big. If it were written today, Jakar would just start a blog. <laughs> or upload videotaped speeches to YouTube. After all that complaining, I'm still giving this episode a good rating. TV6, the Jakar plot is decent. Um, Sci-Fi 8, the Inquisitor is a really cool concept, and Wayne Alexander combined with good writing let me overlook the nitpicks I have for this plot. So, okay. Same as Bob. Alright, uh, Spongebob. She says, uh, Peter and Joey, I hope you had a lovely week. It is becoming harder and harder to stop watching Babby 5, <laughs> and we have now soared through season 4. We will probably be finishing it sometime this weekend. Here are my thoughts. I like the story with Jakar and the weapons. I feel for him when he is pleading with the public and warning them of the coming aggression of the Centauri. I also like the encounter with Veer in the elevator. He made a very powerful point that you cannot apologize to the dead. It brings up an important question of how much responsibility we should take for the actions of our governments. For those actions that lead to the death and harm of others, how do we absolve ourselves if we didn't agree? Should we absolve ourselves? Those are good questions. I they like are. them. Yeah. I don't have an answer for them. <laughs> we should uh, open it up for debate on the Facebook page. Um, yeah. Um, I think it's... Uh, I think maybe... Mm, if we are vocal about it and do all we can to assist and aid those who are downtrodden and put a put upon by whatever actions the government takes, I think that might be a little way. Yeah, I like what Sheridan does actually in the next episode where he... Yeah, know. that's the next episode. You can't mention it now. <laughs> that will ruin everything. All right, fine. <laughs> everything. Okay. Uh, SpongeBob continues. Hmm, I'm not sure about the Inquisitor. I realized that he was sent to find out the true intentions of captain and delenn and they have been found to have a pure intention for the coming war i don't think though that their attitude toward life really is so rare and that jackie would really need to look for 400 years to find someone who would sacrifice themselves freely for the life of someone else 
Fighting almost broke out in the Bob household when Bob insisted that the captain said West End. I thought he said East, and just the subtitles were wrong, but upon further examination, had to capitulate to my illustrious leader and admit that he did say West, and East was dubbed in later. That, that sounds like there's probably some kind of bet in there. <laughs> illustrious leader? <laughs> I'd follow Bob. He sounds like a great guy. I'm, I'm just saying, it sounds like maybe she was coerced into writing that. And I think Bob has a beard, so he would. That's true. What can be wrong with a guy with a beard? Uh, the joys of being a Babby Five Nut. Uh, I give it a nine. Very enjoyable episode. Okay. Here comes the rough one. <laughs> I saw the title of this yes, one. Yes, the, the title that uh, LBS, or uh, Listener Brainy Smurf, or Listener BS, uh, <laughs> which you can feel free to use whichever listener one you want. BS? <laughs> he uh, titled his email, Kosh Sucks. <laughs> uh, and this one's pretty long as well. So here we go. What's up, my favorite Mormons? Uh, and to all the minions, hey now from LBS. <laughs> I would just like to open by saying that if Babby 5 was airing in this century or in 2011, it would have been canceled before the third season. Thank goodness. I mean, thank gosh. Thank gosh it wasn't. <laughs> Sorry, I, I goofed that up there. He says, thank God. I mean, thank gosh it wasn't. <laughs> Kosh has turned out to be the most disappointing character of this show. He barely taught the box anything, and he doesn't even have any meaningful quotes. I was going to type some for Pete to read in his awesome Kosh voice, but they all suck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, LBS, you can do them yourself. It's, it's pretty easy to do the Kosh voice. Um, he continues, Are Vorlon omniscient? Why did Kosh allow the lamest ever assassination attempt uh, to wait, go down? Wait, you can't talk about that. That's the next episode. You're ruining everything. Yeah, you tell LBS. <laughs> I'm looking at you, pal. You can edit on the fly. <laughs> I'm reading his email here. Um, anyways, on to the Inquisition. Delenn is a witch. Let's see if she floats. <laughs> Let's start out with something positive to say. Jakar and Veer in the elevator. Uh, Jakar and Veer in the elevator. Wow, he said it twice. This is what Captain Dathan or some other Temerian might say to communicate a super awkward situation. <laughs> Jakar and Veer in the elevator! <laughs> but seriously, Stephen Faust and Andreas Katsilas deliver an amazing scene here. Veer is realizing that his platitudes are not good enough. What an awesome character. Also, Jakar is now starting to befriend Garibaldi. Ding! Pete forgot the bell. Uh, I love the early shot of Veer above the Zocalo as well. It made me think of Abrahamo lincoln <laughs> I don't know who that is. I don't know what he's trying to go for there. I don't know at all. Sorry about that, uh, uh, Brainy. Um, and now the A story. Sorry. A story. <laughs> I don't think they can hear air quotes, Pete. I think they heard it in my voice. Wow, Kosh is a jerk. He is conceited and smug, just like the Mimbari. I wonder who the Vorlon ambassador to Mimbar is. This Vorlon would have to be the smuggest jerk of them all. 
Ding. <laughs> uh, Vorlons. Ha. What are they good for? Absolutely nothing. Say it again. Well, they are good at subcontracting torturers to do their nefarious bidding. Hey, Kosh, give me a high five. Oh, no, you're too slow, and you don't have any hands. <laughs> and you are too lame to do anything yourself. Now we know that the Vorlons are jerks. They value murderers. So Jack the Ripper gets a shot at redemption? He was a violent murderer. So now we know that the Vorlons love murderers. When Jack the Ripper observes the people in the Zocalo, he comments on how the chaos never changes. The problem is not the chaos, for it is always present. It is that Jack the Ripper is super uptight. Vorlons are uptight. I never thought I, that I would quote Jadzia Dax from DS9, but I recall her saying this, quote, Maybe you should need to, maybe you need to become comfortable being uncomfortable, close quote. This is very zen, and I direct the idea at the stupid Vorlon. <laughs> they need to apply Vorlon brand order, uh, their need to apply Vorlon brand order indicates their collective insecurity. They fail to, to just let the universe unfold on its own accord and insist on cosmic tinkering and implementing order. These aliens believe in their own self-righteousness. They claim that they have a policy of non-interference, and yet they are constantly manipulating the inferior races to do their dirty work. We will get back to this point in the next episode. At the beginning of this episode, the box asks Jack the Ripper, Who are you? Irony. Jack the Ripper proceeds to vaguely identify himself through location and time. Delenn answers the Who are you? question in the same fashion that Jack the Ripper had responded to the box. But she gets the electroshock. Jack the Ripper is not actually interested in her responses. He just wants to induce pain because he is a sadist. If that is not true, then what is his goal? So the Vorlons have been around for millions of years, and they have evolved to learn that torture is an enlightened approach? And here I was thinking the, that waterboarding was mean. The Vorlon would obviously salute this tactic. This is, in my opinion, the worst episode of the series. Wow. <laughs> I told you this was going to be rough. JMS had to know about the Trek TOS episode with Jack the Ripper, and he was arrogant enough to pursue this idea anyhow. This unsolved investigation is so overdone in fiction. And to listener Jim, you are right about JMS as an overwriter in this episode. Especially when such an amazing actor as Wayne Alexander must say that line, only as Jack. Thank you, JMS, for hammering that down for us. We are, uh, we are such a stupid audience that we could have never drawn that conclusion on our own. Can I respond to that really briefly? <laughs> sure. J. Michael Straczynski has actually replied to that same assertion. And I, I will give witness to the same thing that he sees, which is about half the people come to him and say, way to overwrite that scene. Everyone knew it was Jack the Ripper. And the other half of people come to him and say, I had no idea that was Jack the Ripper. By the time, I, I don't understand how they can't figure out these Jack the Ripper. By the time that Sheridan and Ivanova are in CNC and he's doing that lookup, because people don't know when Jack the Ripper lived, Pete. People don't know what Jack the Ripper did. They know the name. They know he killed some people. Oh, 
Oh, okay. Well, people I did, really I did, are that stupid. I yes. didn't think that he just ripped up paper all the time. <laughs> like the newspaper people were just so angry that he was constantly destroying newspapers that they just slandered his name. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, people, pe- people really don't get it, and I think you have to understand that. Yeah. Um, my, my wife, for example, was one. Had no idea it was Jack the Ripper until, in fact, he said, "Not only is Jack my wife," turned to me and said, "So who's he supposed to be?" And I said, "He's supposed to be Jack the Ripper." She's like, "Oh, I thought he was in like the 1400s." <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> uh, well, that's just us arrogant Americans who just don't care to learn history from <laughs> other nations. Um, you know, I actually I didn't mind that much that he comes out and says you know only you know known only as jack um because eh, it was okay i didn't begrudge that part of okay. it i mean the fact that it was jack the ripper in the first place was more is, offensive than yes yeah. um back to lbs uh sorry listener bs for you joey <laughs> and by the way if Jonah actually was swallowed by a whale, I don't think it would be a silent against a giant living vessel full of water. Nor do I think that Delenn is well-versed on the Old Testament. Maybe Delenn studies ancient Greece for a hobby. Then she would appreciate the esoteric Diogenes comment. Well, at least this episode has a brief moment of academe. Um, Diogenes was a friend of Zeno's. And yes, he famously carried a lamp in the daytime looking for honesty. I find his cynicism pretentious, but I do love his commentary toward the nature of evil. He basically said that evil is a matter of perspective and interpretation. So, maybe the Vorlons are evil self-righteous jerks. (laughs) Maybe the shadow aren't so bad. Food for thought. See that one coming. Sorry. Food for thought. (laughs) The Old Testament translation of the word Satan means something along the lines of adversary. Satan, in the Old Testament, acts like God's prosecuting attorney. For instance, in the book of Job, Satan strolls into heaven and makes a wager with God toward Job's eventual reaction. Just like the serpent in Eden, Old Testament Satan is merely an instigator who is inferior to God. This all changes in the New Testament. I now think it is safe to say that both the Vorlons and the Shadow are a bunch of D-bags. Is that language appropriate? (laughs) Uh, Sorry, but it's true. One final note. Diogenes gained attention by criticizing Plato and challenging the who are you question. Kosh says Delenn must be tortured because he has doubts about her. (laughs) Well, I have doubts about him. Can anyone name one of his short, vague quotes that is truly meaningful? The smug Vorlon might not consider that doubt can be a positive force. Doubt can be good. This concept is heavily addressed in Zen Buddhism, and we can delve into it later during a less crappy episode. Sci-Fi (laughs) 0.5 TV3. Jakar brought it up three points. I told you that was going to be rough. Are you okay? I, do you, you know, need a minute? I, do you need, I, I, do you I need a hug? that not everyone enjoys this episode the way I do. In okay. fact, the P5 rating will bear that out to some extent. 
I, okay, I'm just, I just want you to, I don't want you to go crying. No. You know, we have to put the podcast on hold for three hours <laughs> while you pull yourself together because of this verbal slang that you've had to endure. Uh, much appreciated, but I'm good to continue. All right. I'm here for you. Just, I okay. want you to know that. Um, the intern, Aaron, he says, I love this episode. Veer apologizing to Jakar is one of those character moments that really make this show shine. But the Inquisitor makes this episode, at least for me, one of the best things on TV in my lifetime. Sebastian is evil. Not just a bad guy, but a zealot who truly believes in what he is doing. Wait, did Aaron actually use the word zealot? Yes. Wow. Didn't think he even knew that word. Oh, come on. That's (laughs) not fair. Even when you learn that he is doing this in a messed up attempt to pay for his earlier deeds. You can't help but think he is enjo- he enjoyed torturing Delenn and Sheridan. His last line, quote, good luck to you in your holy cause, Captain Sheridan. Um, May your choices have better results than mine. Close quote, remembered not as a messenger. Uh, sorry, he's got... I, he never closes the quote. It's because it goes on. No, he never closes the quote. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, I'm just going to keep reading. You figure out when uh, when Jack's done talking. I, I will wave at you when you hit the end of the quote. Well, wave to the microphone. Remember not as a messenger. Remember not as a reformer. Uh, not as a prophet. Not as a hero. Not even as Sebastian. Remembered only as Jack. That's it? That's it. Okay. <laughs> Sends chills down my spine every time I hear it. I've talked to a lot of people that think that Stephen King is the master of writing evil. But due to this and Twilight Nation, I have to say that JMS understands how evil thinks and acts orders of magnitude uh, better. Uh, Sci-Fi 8, TV 10. Okay. Pete? Okay. Science fiction rating. Science fiction rating, I'm going to go ahead and say 7. Um, and... I, yeah, I, I think seven is fair. Okay. Uh, I'm going to give it a nine. Uh, we, we finally get the other question. We see the other side of the coin as what the shadows represent. Mm-hmm. Who, who are you? Uh, Sebastian's whole entire story, the idea of him being taken by aliens and being preserved for 400 years to perform this interrogation, uh, Specifically to emotionally destroy anyone who presumes to call themselves the Chosen. I think those are very high science fiction. You're, you're motioning at me. Yeah, uh, because yes, we get the, you know, the other side of the coin from the, the shadow who are asking, what do you want? The trouble is, I, I don't know that this someone who's watching this for the first time walks away after having watched this episode realizing that it's this is the Vorlon side of things. That who are you is really the Vorlon's thing. Interesting. I I did. Okay. That's all that needs to be said. Okay. So you gave this a nine? Nine. Okay. Uh, For television, I give this a five. Wow. Yeah, I'm pretty low on it just because, again, I I thought that the premise of the idea uh, of Jack the Ripper kind of spoiled things. Okay. Um, And I thought the, you know, Jakar cutting open his his hand 
was a little over the top as well. Despite the fact that I really, really enjoy that scene with the two of them together, I thought that was super. Um, the one thing that I think that they did get right throughout the interrogation, the torture scenes, is the lighting. I wanted to pay special uh, mention to the lighting. I think that um, the the people who were doing the lighting and how they set up um, uh, Jack or Sebastian to make his walks, you know, where he's supposed to hit his marks at, mm -hmm. the lighting was perfect. Nailed it in every regard, regard there. You know, it's, it's very interesting. That whole entire set is supposed to evoke mentally the Grey Council chambers. Mm, interesting. Um, I give this one, I was torn between a, a 7 and an 8. I think I'm going to end up giving it an 8, personally. Uh, there, there's just there's so many good performances in this. You know, with Jakar and Vera in the elevator, with Delenn and Sebastian, yeah. and, and just the way, in my opinion, Wayne Alexander steals every single scene that he's in in this whole entire episode. The, the, the trouble I have with Delenn is her, her agony scenes. Her, ah, you know, it's just... I don't buy that from her as true pain and agony. Okay. I I buy that as, okay, you don't know how to act in pain. <laughs> um, Wayne Alexander is really good. I like that actor. Okay. And the P5 rating is an 8.47, which, as I said, I think that's a little bit low given the, the audience that it was being pulled from, but... I, I've had to make my peace for many years with the fact that I like this episode better than a lot of people do. Moving on to our next episode, Fall of Night. Note, don't forget to write a summary for the Fall of Night. <laughs> <laughs> I read that and I was like, oh, crap. Uh, Earth signs a treaty with the Centauri, but not before they are brought to the very brink of war. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what I came up with in the past minute and a half. Ah, <laughs> uh, Yes. I really like this episode. This is I a good this one. one. This, this is a good one, one for me. Um, certainly, as as by way of comparison, I enjoy it a lot more than the previous episode we just discussed. You get some cool space battles. You get some threads tied up, as as you know, we tend to get at a season finale. And we finally meet a character <laughs> officially. Okay, so first uh, fun thing for me is uh, paintball in space. <laughs> I thought I'm calling it that. That's a good name for it. It seems like that. Uh, that's what it is. You know, you're you're playing war with all of these different uh, uh, own spy, uh, space pilots. And, Do you think uh, there's anything morally wrong with practicing the tactics of someone you consider an ally? Mm, I would practice all sorts of tactics. Okay. Um, I wouldn't uh, just pick one and say, this is the only one we need to worry about. Be versed in everything. Okay. You never know when your enemy is yeah, going to show up. Um, all right. Uh, we also get a bit of fun with uh, Veer and, and Lanier. Lanier. And who come and they both kind of whine and complain a little bit <laughs> about their various situations. And then say, same time tomorrow. <laughs> So this is their cathartic way of being able to relieve the, the stress and difficulty of their jobs. The really interesting thing for, the, for me in this scene is if you listen to the dialogue, you could flip the lines between either character, and they work equally well. Yeah, I think so. They're, they're vague enough, they're, but there's a, and there's enough of a parallel between what's going on with the Navari and what's going on with the Centauri hmm, uh, that... You know the lines can work in either from either character's mouth. 
what would be nice is if they would pair these two together more often. He he talks in the in the script book about how he wanted to, and there just was never enough time in an episode to really get into it. It was something he wanted to do. He actually wanted to show how Vera and Lanier were doing all of the actual work of an ambassador, while Londo and Delan are running around saving or putting the galaxy at risk, <laughs> alternately. <laughs> Um, well, I think that they he did have plenty of time. He didn't need to expand on, I don't know, doc, Dr. Franklin or oh, Talia. What is with the Dr. Franklin mate? Well, he's dumb. All right. He's dumb. All right. Um, okay. So apparently the Centauri are beginning to attack other people. The Pacmara and the Drazi, Drazi are being drawn in. And uh, so, what Jakar was saying in the last episode starting to bear out a little bit here. Yeah. And uh, by the end of this episode, we're going to find out this is just a precursor to them launching a full-scale thing. They were just waiting for a treaty to be signed with Earth to basically get to the point of saying, okay, Earth isn't going to meddle with us. Now we can go and start attacking all of the non-aligned worlds. Yep. can do basically whatever we want. Uh, right. Um, let's see here. The next point I make is fighters, the fighter pilots wear ascots. I noticed that too. I never noticed it until this scene. I've never noticed it in all the years I've watched that. I've never noticed that until you see both Keffer and the other guy Uh wearing ascots. I thought that was really weird. (laughs) It is very, very odd. Uh, I uh, I don't know that the the ascot is you know really a maybe in twenty two fifty nine it's made a comeback <laughs> maybe I mean it certainly was popular for Fred of Scooby Doo fame oh yes <laughs> well was that an ascot or was yes, that just a no. neckerchief it was an ascot really yeah yep how are you sure about that I'm absolutely positive well how are you positive about this what's your evidence I have a Scooby Doo book somewhere. <laughs> Um, (laughs) Okay, so the next people that show up are the Ministry of Peace and their uh, side attaché of the Night Watch. Am I the only one who gets the sense that the Night Watch actually had the Mr. Wells from the Night Watch actually has more authority than the official representative of the Ministry of Peace? Um, I think that that's what we're supposed to feel. Okay. Because... The guy's slimy. He's gross, but he's got political pull, and he's... It, it's very interesting, the parallels between him and Mr. Morton. It, it, uh, as far as Ministry of Peace and the Night Watch guy go, though, I think I don't think they're trying to jockey for position, because I both think that they're they're doing what they're supposed to be doing in there. And they're both I wasn't trying to say they're jockeying for position. I, I was oh, saying, okay. it, it, I get the impression that the guy from the Night Watch actually has more real power than Mr. Lentz, the guy who's there to officially represent Earth in this. Well, I think that the Night Watch guy was just coming along for the trip. And isn't the Night Watch supposed to be under the Ministry of Peace? Yes, which yeah. is why I thought it was worth pointing out that it seems like when especially when we get towards the end of the episode and Mr. Wells is like, Well, I called the Joint Chiefs and they're backing up Sheridan here that he did the right thing. In that scene, it seems very clear. But there are other hints, I feel like, earlier in the episode, that Mr. Wells actually has more true power than Mr. Lentz. Yeah, he's definitely... um, 
He's politically connected. And uh, I kind of walked away with uh, with this as the the sorry who is that Ministry of Peace guy? We just keep calling Mr. him Mr. Wells. Mr. Wells. Okay. It seems like he was just coming in to do the job of an ambassador, get okay. a treaty signed between oh, no, our Mr. two Lentz. peoples. Mr. Lentz is the one that's the ambassador kind of role. Mr. Wells is the night watch. Okay, guy. so when I said Ministry of Peace guy, you automatically thought night watch guy. Well, they're both Ministry of Peace guys. I hate you <laughs> so much. Let's talk more about how Cumsy Inquisitor is a dumb episode. That'll turn the knife in your back. Okay. Um, the Ministry of Peace holds a meeting. And uh, in that meeting, they talk about how, quote, harmful ideas can be very... No, the Night Watch holds a meeting. Yeah, yeah. The, the harmful ideas can be very subtle. And I found that incredibly ironic, <laughs> considering that's exactly what the Night Watch are doing. Yeah. You know, they are being the subtle ones, you know, with the harmful ideas. Um, and Isn't that a classic magician's trick, though? You know, tell you about what he's doing so it distracts you from what he's doing? I don't know. I don't know magic enough. Okay. Or the illusionists uh, <laughs> enough to, to know. Anyway, Zach gives in. He's like, well, no, I didn't report that thing because, well, it didn't really, you know, it's just a guy, you know, blown off steam. And, yeah, I guess they could, I suppose we could look at it like that. And he gets in. Yeah. And we come to see later on, that guy's carried away. Yep. And Zach is the one who, uh, he watches it happen. And I wonder if this is going to do something for the character of Zach. Yes. Okay, good. If we had a bell... I would ring it. Well, you can make a dinging sound just as well as I can. Ding! Nope. Turns out you can't. <laughs> you do it worse than I could. <laughs> Bell ringing responsibility shall remain invested in me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, Jakar tries to get a meeting with Lance. And uh, he's basically brushed off. Because we come to find out that a non-aggression pact has been signed with the Centauri. Yeah. So he wants nothing to do with the Narn. Because if he were to get involved with the Narn, it would hurt what's going on with Centauri that yep. they're trying to get across. And as soon as that uh, uh, is announced, the Centauri start attacking other worlds. I mean, they start protecting other worlds. Liberating. Liberating. Say one of them, they were, it, was a, it was a liberation or a... I can't remember. Like they implied that, oh, this world asked us to come in and free them from the oppressive Drak or Drazi rule. I knew I was going to do that. At some point in the series, I was going to get Drak and Drazi confused. Who's Drak? Uh, you will never know the answer to that question. Okay, good. <laughs> um, so the Centauri, um, before this thing is signed, a Narn fighter shows up. Apparently the last one. Yeah. Heavy cruiser. Yes. Big, big ship. And it asks for aid from Babylon 5. Babylon 5 gives it. Just kind of protecting it. Come to find out, uh, because of somebody in the Night Watch, they reveal that there is this Narn cruiser over there. And Sheridan hasn't broken any laws. He's well within his rights. Yes. Everything's okay. Um, and 
they Babylon 5 ends up helping this Narn fighter be able to get away. Not before a Centauri ship shows up and starts firing on Babylon 5. And the Narn cruiser. And, and the Babylon 5 fighters. Yes, on everything that moves. Eventually to the point that Babylon 5 fires back and inevitably the Centauri cruiser is destroyed. Yep. And so it causes a little bit of hubbub, but the Centauri don't really seem to care that much. Because in the end, they got what they wanted, which was Earth isn't going to mess with us. Sad, really. Um, why would Earth get involved with the Centauri and agree to this? Fear. Seems like, uh, well, is it really fear? Do the, Earth, does, do the Earthers really fear the Centauri? I don't think it's so much that they fear or, the Centauri. Or is this out of the, the current president, Santiago? Is it Santiago? No, Clark. Clark. Santiago's the one who's killed. That Clark is trying to get away from anything that has to do with other races. They don't want to help That's other what people. I mean. That's what I mean by fear. It's not a fear of the Centauri, but it's a fear of losing the vote if we get involved. Hmm. Okay. Now, I, 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 I got to be careful here because it may sound to some of our listeners like I'm advocating going out in the world and trying to solve everyone else's problems just because you're the superpower. Seems like uh, that's the appropriate action. I yeah. don't necessarily believe that. You have the power, so you have a responsibility <laughs> to assist those who don't. Thank you, Stan Lee. <laughs> <laughs> You, you clearly read your Spider-Man, Pete. <laughs> well, you do. How how can you sit there and and not help your neighbor? Well, I just disagree with you on who my neighbor is. <laughs> Boy, you are a horrible, horrible specimen of humanity. Uh, I'm not I'm even not, sure I'm you're gonna, human anymore. I'm not going to argue that. <laughs> You know, they. it almost seems like the episode wants you to feel sorry for Lent on some level. The ambassador guy. Really? I, don't I didn't get that at all. I, I get. I see that sometimes when I watch this. I'm like, wow, they want us to feel bad for this guy. And every time I seems get like that. Seems like he's totally okay with it. What? With what he's going there to do. I No, no, no. When, when the shooting war between the Centauri and Babylon 5 starts... I get this sense at that point that they want us to feel bad for this guy because he's, oh, I've worked so hard for this peace. We, I wanted to give us peace in our time, which, by the way, is a quote of, uh, yeah. what was the guy's name? I don't know, but it's a dumb quote because anybody who would ever suggest this piece of paper will give us the peace that we have so been richly seeking all of our lives. A load of crap. Here, here's what it always makes me think of. This is from... Uh, a little piece of work by a man named Thomas Paine. I'm, I'm sure we've heard it before in the podcast, but we're going to hear it again. I once felt all that kind of anger which a man ought to feel against the mean principles that are held by the Tories. A noted one who kept a tavern at Amboy was standing at his door with as pretty a child in his hand, about eight or nine years old, as I ever saw. And after speaking his mind freely as he thought was prudent, finished with this unfatherly expression. Well, give me peace in my day. Not a man lives on the continent, but fully believes that a separation must, sometime or other, finally take place. And a generous parent should have said, 
If there must be trouble, let it be in my day that my children may have peace. And this single reflection, well applied, is sufficient to waken every man to duty. Hmm. There's, no, there's no guarantee that just because you get peace in your time that you necessarily will have pain and anguish in your child's time, though. This Thomas Paine guy sounds like just a... He's just a rabble-rouser. He's just a, a revolutionary. I, I don't think that he is appropriate <laughs> at all, and we should squash his writings. He well, should be burned. I'm sure that uh, both the Bob Household and Listener Sire are applauding <laughs> you at this moment. <laughs> well, yeah, I, they do hate America. <laughs> um, okay, so back to the main storyline. The Zeta pilot, I can't ever remember his Keffer. name. Warren Keffer. Keffer. I just keep calling him Zeta pilot. Um, he just can't seem to let this go. This whole, what was out there? What was that shit? What was that thing? And he comes to find out that there have been other pilots who have noticed or seen other types of things like this. And so he talks to one of them and they're like, okay, yeah, here's what I scanned. This is what you need to look for. So as that Zeta pilot is going out there and is escorting the, the Narn heavy cruiser back, he's like, hey, you know what? I, I think I just noticed this thing here. Breaks away from the group and says, hey, I've got to go check something out. And follows and records a shadow vessel. A shadow vessel. Now, it's at this point as I was watching it that I, I said, um... Wow, this seems, you know, like this has come back to bite Sheridan in the butt here. Yeah. He should have basically pulled, this guy into his pulled him aside and said, hey, look, I need you to stop looking around, poking around in this thing here because there is some things going on and I don't want it known. He should have done it because he knew what that pilot had seen. He knew what this guy was looking for. And stupid Sheridan didn't bother to think things through. <laughs> it's just, it is very interesting to see over the next season all the ripple effects of Lieutenant Keffer's going off on his own here yes. are going to cause. Because he records and then he ejects his little recording, recording and he's then destroyed. Yep. And then some, some other shit picks it up. And now the shadow are known. And they are going to be in a pickle because of this. And it basically moves the timetable way up. Yeah. So that the, the Rangers, the Earthers, the Vorlons, the Mimbari can't get prepared for this. The, or, there, there was a, a little discussion in the script book. I didn't highlight it, so I can't find it now. Where uh, the actor who plays Warren Keffer came to J. Michael Straczynski at the season wrap-up party and said... So, what exactly was that like? What happened to my character? <laughs> oh, that's so sad. And T. Michael Straczynski said, Oh, you'll find out next year. Oh! He's <laughs> like, I didn't want to have it be a downer for the whole entire cast during the season rap party that this guy, had, his character had been killed. He wasn't going to be working for us next year. Oh. But this is, this, is, this is the character that he was forced to write in yeah. by the P10 network. And he declared at the time... I will kill him as soon as I possibly can. He saw his opportunity and he went for it. You know, I didn't mind the character of Keffer. I was okay with him, but I, I, I'm i also okay with him being gone. Yeah, um, he was okay. 
Okay, so we finished this out. Uh, Sheridan now has to publicly apologize to the Centauri, so he's making his way there. I love his apology speech that he has planned, but Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry that you guys are jerks. Once again, we see the only place anyone ever gets blown to in the Babylon 5 universe is straight to hell. That's <laughs> where everyone goes, apparently. Um, I didn't understand why Sheridan was taking that big shuttle thing to this place that's, like, way below him. Yeah. Not a good answer for that one. Sorry. Okay. So, anyway, he he's taking the shuttle, and uh, he turns and he sees a bomb. He, you know... Gets the, the doors open and jumps free. Yep. And we come to find out, as it's explained to us from, I think, Ivanova, yep. was he's basically, he's just floating. You know, free-falling, but that'd be, he's weightless. There, he, There's, you know, if he continues to stay out there, he's going to be just fine. And as a matter of fact, they have apparently some sort of contingency plan for the that. because jetpacks. Yeah, jetpacks could come up and fly and bring him in safely. The issue is he's weightless. Until he hits this uh, the ground, which is going at 60 miles an hour. <laughs> which is obviously going to cause some problems for a fleshy bag of water. <laughs> you know, he's he, at one point he's flying over a lake. And I was thinking, she just had a little bit of control. Dive to the lake, man. Dive to the lake. <laughs> because as Mythbusters recently taught us, it actually is better to land on water than it is to land on ground. Absolutely it is. Um, so... Delenn says to Kosh, if if you're going to do this, now is the time. Yep. You, you know what's at stake. You've got to do this. And Kosh rescues him. And everyone, almost everyone, sees Kosh for who they think he is. Or who they have been programmed to believe that he so is. So he is, you know, they see their god or some angel of some sort. Yep. Uh, because Vorlons are beings of light. That can manipulate themselves to look however you want them to look. No, they have genetically programmed us over generations to see them in a particular way. Yeah, but did we know that from this? I don't know. Or did you case. just did you just give away something? <laughs> hey, everybody, your innocence was just taken away, <laughs> and the, and it was Joey who did it to you. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, Vorlons, beings of light, but they have been. Kind of manipulating things, guiding everyone apparently yeah. out there in the universe. I thought it was telling that most of the races seem to see a very specific figure from their own mythology. Yes. Whereas humanity and potentially the Minbari, we don't know for sure, see just the abstract concept of an angel or an angelic kind of being. And it makes me wonder if Kosh himself had more direct manipulation of those races who saw him as a particular individual, whereas for humanity or the Minbari, he was just another Vorlon. Don't know. The, uh, the disturbing thing that I came away with this, and I don't know if this is accurate or not, if this is Straczynski's way of saying there is no God. No. It's not? It's not. Because I can definitely walk away from this. If... They've been asserting themselves into these various roles that, you know, kind of look like angels, beings of light, which is, sorry, what I would consider an angel to be. Sure. Um, it kind of seems like maybe they're saying, 
this is what we've been seeing all of this time. You know, in all of our recorded scripture, this is the the angels that we've been seeing. He he is saying that at some non-specific times in human history, it was the Vorlons we were interacting with and not necessarily messengers of God. But he is not exclusive of the concept that there is a God mm. in the Babylon 5 universe itself. Now, he himself is an atheist. But he leaves he intentionally leaves it open within the context of Babylon five whether or not there is such a thing as God. Hmm. So that's definitely not the message he's trying to send. But he is trying to send the message: Hey, the Vorlons have been manipulating us all for thousands, if not millions, of years. Yeah. And Londo saw nothing. Yep. As did the intern. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really sad for, for Londo. Yes. Uh, it, it really is. That Especially because the context in which we discover that is as we see these races sitting down at the bar and they start a conversation that a day before would probably have ended in a bar fight. Uh-huh. And instead it's, you know what? It doesn't matter. This is a blessed place. The world is a better place today. We should all go away in peace. And all Londo can do is sit on the outside of all this loving that's going on <laughs> and just say I didn't see anything is um, let me ask you this did other Centauri see something or was it just him it was just him okay so he's been blinded yep. by the shadow by the, well by the decisions that he's made yeah which the shadow forced on him because <laughs> they're evil um, okay the listener comments um I do like the, the, that the caution incident has been so dramatic, the impact on the station, that the races are referring to this now as holy ground. And earlier in this season, Kosh had told Sheridan, I am going to prepare you to fight legends. And one of the steps in doing that was to make Babylon 5 a holy place for many races. Um, and then I love at the end of the episode... The shot of Londo shouting and shaking his fists at all the other non-aligned world. She's just... I don't, we don't hear the dialogue because uh, Ivanova's doing her little season wrap-up voiceover thing. Yeah. But there's just such passion in Peter Jurassic as he's threatening everyone in the room, basically saying, we are going to crush all of you. Mm-hmm. Love that scene. Okay, Bob says, So we come to the last episode of season two. This was a great episode. Yeah, the special effects, while Sheridan was falling, were ropey. <laughs> but the story was engaging, bringing all plots, uh, plot points together. Centauri and Narn conflict, shadows, and Ministry of Peace. I never really understood what Lieutenant Keffer was doing in the main credits, or even on the show. He seemed a very redundant character, and was hardly in the show. I assume, I assume he is dead, and never to return. Well, I have watched... Um, okay, well... that That's an assumption that you've made. <laughs> we can neither confirm nor deny. Yeah. Kosh coming, out, uh, Kosh coming out of his encounter suit was very underwhelming. I hope I wasn't the only one who was annoyed that we will never see a Vorlon's true form. It is really frustrating. At least we have seen what the shadows look like. Why not the Vorlons? I don't suppose that Joey has JMS on speed dial. No, but I did tweet and ask him this. He hasn't replied yet. Ah, oh, dang. 
Kosh, coming out, uh, sorry, uh, I thought this was a fitting end to the season, uh, especially with the ISN clip teasing season three. Overall, I would give this an eight for sci-fi and an eight for television. All right, uh, Moneybags, he says, at the time of writing this, I've only watched the first 15 minutes or so of this. All I'll say for now is too much kefir. A situation which is remedied by the end of this episode. <laughs> Until next time. Okay, uh, Spongebob. She says, There is quite a lot going on in this episode. Doesn't Garibaldi say exactly what everyone else has been thinking? I can't tell if Londo actually believes the garbage he spews out, or if he is simply putting, it, putting on an act. I like the EarthGov rep, despite his skewed view of making an alliance with the Centauri. But the Nightwatch guy is so slimy. Yuck. I was. It was a bold move to protect the Narn and engage with the Centauri. I feel it really shows his willingness to do the right thing and stand up for his convictions. I also liked finding out about Kosh. The noble captain has been touched by an angel. <laughs> I give it an 8 alright uh, listener Brainy Smurf hey Kosh give me a high five yeah I know you don't have hands but can't you just slap me with a little wingtip or something <laughs> oh I see it's uh, it's very tiring to masquerade as an angel um, it must be tiring to interfere with countless younger races of beings as they try to develop on their own. So Vorlons can claim to be messengers from God. Messenger is the primary function of most angels. So Angel Kosh gave the box a couple of cones. Koans? K-O-A-N-S? Zen Koan, it's, a, uh, it's the kind of form of poetry that the Zen used to focus their mind and put themselves in a zen state. Okay, Cohen's. And then rescued him from plummeting. I think that Drawl could have saved the box from falling. Drawl, where are you? Didn't you just pledge yourself as an ally? Babby 5 is getting attacked. Can you hear me, Major Drawl? <laughs> <laughs> I have trouble accepting that JMS's five-year arc was unalterable. The killing of Talia proves flexibility was possible, but because of actor issues, Drawl and his planet weapon is practically abandoned? Anyways, what an awesome scene with Veer and his drinking buddy. I would have enthusiastically welcomed more scenes with these two at the bar. It's too bad JMS did not utilize this brilliant narrative device more often. But at least we have the linear quote of the week. Quote, you never know what it's all about until later, when it's too late. Close quote. Ivanova finds the pen for the Ministry of Peace guy. Do you guys think that pens will really be around in the 23rd century? Sure. I don't see why not. Yeah. We still have to write something down. I mean, they've been around since, like, you know, cuneiform. The Dark Ages. <laughs> Um, the original Battlestar Galactica was based on the, the idea uh, life here uh, began out there. And then we have the entire Stargate franchise with the original movie released the same year as season one of Babby 5. I know that writers borrow ideas from each other. 
However, I find JMS's proposition insulting. On the other hand, the God of the Old Testament is not much nicer than a Vorlon. He is constantly smiting and killing and delivering plagues and telling Abraham to murder his son and murdering countless Egyptian firstborn children, in addition to flooding the entire world and destroying whole cities. Whole cities. Hmm. I can actually see God suggesting to the Vorlons to try and destroy... Ding! <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Okay. And now for the angel talk. Divine alien intervention is hardly original. Carl Sagan posited ancient alien theories in the 1970s, piggybacking on the academic works of Eric von Daniken and Zechariah Sitchin. JMS intentionally leaves the specifics as ambiguous. To my knowledge, overlords, your minions offer a variety of religious perspectives. Christians, Muslims, LDSs, and Buddhists are what I have detected. By the way, if there are any Zoroastrianism or Zoroastrians or Janus out there, please holla. <laughs> we would love to hear your voices Absolutely. too. Absolutely. <laughs> I would love to hear a Zoroastrian's uh, perspective on things, sure. just because yeah. I like the name Zoroastrian. <laughs> um, okay, I mentioned this list because these faiths have all have angels woven into their mythologies. And so I posit the question, do you believe, uh, do you feel comfortable with JMS suggesting that maybe Gabriel visiting the Virgin Mary was Kosh? Or let's just say that Islam is totally based on Kosh visiting Muhammad, disguised as the angel uh, Gabriel. I'm probably mispronouncing that, sorry Bob. Maybe uh, Moroni Kosh really did beam down from the Enterprise, as is suggested in an offensive Mormon musical. <laughs> JMS is, a, uh, is defiantly an atheist. Just watch the diatribe from Jeremiah when the main character gives God the middle finger for five minutes. If I were a devout practitioner of one of these faiths, I would be annoyed that my, uh, that my main angel is actually suggested to be a murderer-loving murderer alien. JMS is getting ahead of himself, and Vorlons suck, and their encounter suits are stupid. Sci-Fi 4, TV 3. Wow. Sorry for all of the hating this week. On the other hand, I can't wait for season 3. I just ordered it from Amazon. Stay awesome, overlords. Listener Brainy Smurf Brian. I didn't realize we'd been elevated to overlords. Well, you assumed that uh, everyone was a minion. So I think that that's, by context, uh, <laughs> suggesting that we're overlords? <laughs> okay. I'm uncomfortable with the idea, personally. <laughs> I don't want to be this, over this anyone. Right. <laughs> I, I, don't even, I don't even want a pet, because I don't want the idea, uh, you know, the idea of having to care for something else just horrifies me. Well, that's the nice thing about being an overlord, though, you don't have to care. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, the intern says... Truly an awesome episode. Veer and Lanier have their apparent, uh, apparently daily meeting. They protect uh, a Narn-heavy cruiser, and Sheridan is saved from falling to death by a weird flapping sound. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron saw nothing. <laughs> uh, Sci-Fi 9, TV 9. It's weird how that effect persisted through television. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. 
All right, Joey, uh, for science fiction. For science fiction, I give this a seven. That's all you're going to say. That's all I'm going to say. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give this a nine for science fiction. Oh. For me, there was a lot of stuff going on. Even though it, you know, it comes across as maybe action-oriented, I consider that uh, an appropriate element for science fiction, especially when you have two <laughs> races standing, you know, opposed to each other with a space station right in the middle of them, and they're all firing on each I, other. I did like that Babylon 5 actually took some serious damage. One of those weird protruding things uh -huh. got chopped off. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> I've never never understood what the purpose of those things are. It's for when they decide to ram somebody. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a mobile station. It's stationary. Well, well, maybe... It's when someone else throws themselves on... <laughs> Um, anyway, so getting back to my rating, uh, I think that those are appropriate in science fiction. Um, I also think the introduction of Angel Kosh is actually okay. I think okay. that's an you know, appropriate way to bring him out. We have the Night Watch, the Ministry of Peace all there, um, Jakar getting brushed off, the Centauri you know, asserting themselves everywhere, and then the Shadow being found out about. I think that those are all. I didn't really consider the Kosh revealing himself as science fiction. Oh yeah, what's what? What alien out there looks like a, an angel, man? I think that's way cool. Okay, I'm not arguing. I'm just explaining. Uh, for television, I also gave it a seven. I think I think it's a, a good episode, nice season wrap up, but nothing really super exceptional for me. Agreed. I gave this a seven for the exact same reasons. The P5 rating is a 9.40. Moving on to season wrap-up. Joey, would you read the summary? Wrap up the season. <laughs> well summarized. Um, okay, so why don't we go ahead and do... Uh, well, let's, let's say this. Let's say we usually do this. Joey, overall impressions of season two. I think J. Michael Straczynski said it best. They finally hit their stride as far as the, the story of Babylon 5 goes. Took him about a season and a half to really get into it, but the tail end of, of season two, with some notable exceptions, were really strong episodes, and I really enjoy it. Yeah, I agree as well. It feels like they finally got their footing together for uh, for a lot of the main story, mm -hmm. and it, it feels like they're not going to have to rely on these other throwaway episodes, that they can truly start to get into the story more, which is frustrating for me because I would have liked them to have started to have been doing that in season one sure. a heck of a lot more. I think um, part of the cost that we paid is the fact that J. Michael Straczynski didn't know how to run a show, but he wanted the creative control, and so he said, if you're going to do this, I am the producer, I run the show. And it took him a while to figure out how to do it mm, right. That's a shame that he, that he didn't have somebody available to him to kind of help him out, steer him through... Some of those things. Some of the rough water. Yeah. Um, okay, I, I like season two as well, and uh, mostly for, for what you've named there. I also want to pay tribute to the fact that I think they finally are getting the, the CGI correct. Yeah. And it's it's not a hindrance to them anymore. I, sh I should mention, I wanted to say this during Bob's comments. He mentioned how the, uh, the fall looks kind of ropey, is the term he used. <laughs> yeah. They actually were going to do that whole thing through CGI. But oh, so glad they didn't. They felt he felt Straczynski felt they could have done it better, but it was so much rendering already to put caution in the scene. 
but they just didn't have enough. No way. That would not have <laughs> would not have worked. Okay. It works okay with Kosh because we've never seen Kosh before. We make Kosh look like whatever we want because this is the first time we're seeing him. We know what Sheridan looks like. Well, CGI people have always looked horrible okay. to me. Always. The, the falling sensation, not necessarily Sheridan, though. I'm not saying that they were going to composite Sheridan as a CGI character. Oh. But that they were going to use CGI to insert an actually falling Sheridan, you know, shot, you know, as he falls onto a, a stunt bag or something, to composite that into the scenery, into the shot. Hmm. How's that different than the green screen that they were doing anyway? I don't know. But they, he ended up on a rope instead of actually falling. And, and what Straczynski talks about is, I wanted to actually have him falling and to insert that him oh. actually falling into the shot instead of having him suspended by ropes and kind of waving yeah, his arms Yeah, but I think he around. has to do that, doesn't he? I mean, because he is weightless. Yeah. I think he kind of has to float around. Well, you're weightless when you're falling. <laughs> I, I'm not sure that's correct. <laughs> um, all right, so we will do... Uh, we're going to cover the um, listener comments first to okay. begin with. And we'll start with Bob. He says, um, Best episode in the shadow of Zaha Doom. Worst episode? Gropos. <laughs> I don't think there's going to be any competition on that one. Yeah. Uh, favorite character? Jakar. Worst character? Kefir. That seems weird to me. I, I, I don't hate Kefir. He was never like he never did anything bad or anything weird. The actor never did a had good any... job. It was just a dumb part to insert. I, just never... I think is what ends up happening. Really, I don't see that being <clears throat> any like out of the norm or you know somehow offensive to the storyline though. I don't... I ask Bob. Quit asking me what Bob thinks. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were the one who suggested it as well. Uh, favorite storyline: Londo's link with the shadows. Worst storyline, whatever it was in Gropos. <laughs> Hot chick, Susan Ivanova. She is just hilarious. And her hair. <laughs> uh, best guest star, Walter Koenig. Again, as long as they have him every season, he will win this for me. Okay. Uh, that's all from me this week. Roll on season three. Thank you very much, Bob. Um, okay, money bags. He's, he's got a lot. Um, he says, wow, season two flew by compared to season one. All in all, much better. Here are my thoughts on the good, the bad, and the ugly. Favorite episode, The Coming of Shadows. Least favorite episode, Gropos. Hot chick. Tie between Talia and Ivanova with her... With her hair down and out in and out of her uniform. I don't see how anybody finds Talia attractive. I just don't get it. It must be the smoker's voice, <laughs> and I assume that that's what it is because she's got a an unusually she is kind of husky. Yeah, yeah. Um, not the sure. voice. The voice is husky. She's not husky. <laughs> <laughs> she could be seen as a husky person if compared to an anorexic woman. <laughs> All right. Uh, funniest moment. Can you and your associates arrange that for me, Mr. Morton? Uh, favorite serious moment, Jakar's brief speech as he leaves the council chamber. That whole scene is incredible. Saddest moment, 
Londo trying to get Garibaldi to have a drink with him. Honorable mention for funniest moment, Peter Nash imitating Urza's pronunciation of Pasoliate. <laughs> I'm giggling just thinking you about know, it. One of these days, that's going to be your death rattle. I'm going to think you're just making fun of Babylon 5 again and not be able to help you. So, <laughs> so I'll be using that? Or are you talking about the... Uh, I'm saying that you'll be going... Uh, and I'll be going... Come on, Pete. The, we've been ta- done talking about Trek West Five for years now. <laughs> yes, but hopefully I will be doing one of these. Like, uh, you know, the 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 sign for choking. Okay, favorite character, the a tie between Londo and Jakar. Uh, favorite new character, Sheridan. Least favorite character, Talia. They just didn't give her enough to do. <laughs> I hope you meant that sarcastically as you read it and not seriously. Either way, it's still funny. <laughs> Least favorite supporting character, Keffer. Favorite supporting character, Rifa. Dumbest moment. Garibaldi doesn't check the room before letting Talia in, resulting in her being kidnapped in Spider in the Web. Sorry. A spider in the way. <laughs> no, I... <laughs> yeah, I... I couldn't uh, I, believe I, you let that one go by. Misread that there, sorry. Uh, second dumbest moment. Franklin accuses father of being a murderer, despite being in the military himself. Grow pose. Favorite recurring villain? Londo. Favorite guest villain? Sebastian. Least favorite villain? Talia. And finally, the don't let the door hit you in the derriere on the way out goes to our good and dear friend, Larry Dottilio. <laughs> Not Kefra, huh? Who wrote the episodes featuring both my contenders for stupidest moment with an honorable mention to Warren Keffer. Okay. All right. Uh, thanks, Moneybags. Um, listener SpongeBob, she says, Favorite episode? Divided loyalties. Least favorite? Gropos. Ugh. And that woman. Well, she really hates her. She, I, I'm with her, man. Really. I hate that character. I like her. She's uh, she's attractive. Okay. Hottest guest star? The semi-nude flying up to the good captain, but not the human angel form, uh, Valenia, or whatever in the Mimbari form. I'm finding the Mimbari strangely hot. Despite the lack of facial hair, Bob has taken a liking, liking to a certain shirt I have that he says looks like a Trek uniform. I think after his description of Talia, I might should get a Psycop uniform and black gloves. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> Is this podcast supposed to be kids safe? <laughs> Favorite guest. Hmm. Certainly not that woman. (laughs) Overall view, I like season two. Certainly more gripping than the first season and that flop of a movie pilot. I found, though, while watching it, that I was wanting it to move along to the main story of the war with the shadows. There were certainly a couple of episodes that could have easily been cut from the season. Have a good week, and we really look forward to season three. Sorry, I mean, I alone 
because Joey wants it that way. <laughs> way to get one more dig at him. Good job. Okay, so I guess this uh, we're on to our list. Yeah, before we get into that, there's actually something I wanted to share here. In she she mentioned about you know her favorite, uh, what did she call them? Favorite guest stars or something like that. Um, there was a quote in here somewhere. I can't find it now. Where uh, they, he talks, uh, Straczynski talks about in the fall of night, the scene in Ivanova's bedroom where the or quarters, I should say, where the night watch guy, Mister Wells, is trying to convince her to come over to night watch. Mm-hmm. Is not part of the script. Um, what? A rogue element amongst the crew decided to film it? <laughs> they ran three minutes short in their filming. So they filmed the whole episode and they were three minutes short on the episode. Wow. And so he had to run upstairs and write another scene <laughs> that fit into this episode on the spot, bring it down. They memorized the lines and delivered them. And in, in uh, the thing I wanted to get the quote exact, but I'm just going to have to paraphrase here. He said, basically, it's because not naming any names from previous episodes, but we had some guest stars that could really get through their lines effectively. <laughs> Wait. Like that pre- some other guest stars, I guess, would drag on their lines or something. He's just saying that these guest stars, Mr. Wells and Mr. Lentz, were such good actors that... Where we normally would have expected to take three more minutes to get through the scenes, we ran short. Oh, I see. Okay. okay. I'm not trying to disparage anybody else, but I'm just saying these guys were that professional. That they, they came they, in, they delivered their lines, they hit their marks, and we were three minutes short. Yeah, and all of a sudden it's sort of like, oh, well, we thought these people would take longer. But yes. it's, Okay, I, that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay, uh, so where do we start here, Joey? Uh, favorite extra and bit part? Yep. Uh, why don't you go ahead and start us off then? I, I'm going to go with Sebastian. As dark of a character as he is, I love the portrayal. I love Wayne Alexander's work. Like I said, I think he steals the scene in everything that he is in in that, in that episode. I felt like he murdered the scene. <laughs> he wasn't a thief, he was a murderer, Joey. Okay, all right. Um, I'm going to say I had a couple of people I thought of one because I liked the techno mages so much I just felt like I had to mention that bald guy he was just had an awesome voice how do you how do you get a voice like that I don't know <laughs> I but don't know I think I kind of want one so maybe for Christmas if you could uh, you know make your way clear to get me a voice if like I remember that. my uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy trailer correctly it's that you have to chain smoke seven packs a day since childhood <laughs> Well, I better start now. <laughs> um, okay, uh, but my actual favorite is Dwight Schultz. Okay. I, I don't remember what character he played. And the episode that he was in, I remember, I don't really like. As a matter of fact, I think it was on my hated list. Um, <laughs> I, I still like him as an actor. I think he played a good part. Okay. So, Dwight Schultz, in okay. whatever character he was playing for uh, whatever episode he was in. All right, your most hated character. Hated, I I had a tough time with this. Um, I think that I'm going to end up saying Urza. As much as I really? like that actor, I think what they were making him be was horrible. Huh. You know, if I may be so bold as to suggest his uh, his 
constant uh, uh, repeating of the line Pasaleate <laughs> was disturbing for me. I just I wanted him to just be gone and to get back over to Stargate SG One where he <laughs> does a great job. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go with the Mark Cab Ambassador. This is the guy who was so close-minded really? about science in the modern age, in 2259, that he let his entire yeah. race die out. Yeah, I can see that. I can absolutely see that. Good good, good, good decision. Um, okay, your favorite villain. Well, I think it's clear. Londo. Londo Malari. He, uh, as much as I pity him, and I know you don't, but as much as I pity him, he truly is a villain. Uh, I'm actually going to choose a different Centauri for this. I'm going to choose Lord Rifa. Okay. You see glimmers, moments of Londo that you think, he does have a heart. But Lord Rifa, everything that I have seen of him is evil. Everything. Okay. And so Lord Rifa is the guy. All right. Uh, Pete, hot chick. I had difficulty with this. You mentioned that. <laughs> um, because, honestly, if you look around, all of the guest people that they're bringing in are mainly males. And uh, of the few women that they have brought in... Didn't do anything for you. Not that attractive. <laughs> uh, but... What I, about Sheridan's lawyer? Sheridan's lawyer? Yeah. I don't even remember don't her. remember her? She came in and she was supposed to... You, need, you don't talk to them anymore. It was when he uh, shot the Minbari guy. Mm, yeah, I still don't remember <laughs> okay. her. Uh, so I ended up picking from Comes the Inquisitor, the scene where uh, Sebastian is standing there looking out over the Zocalo and he's you know talking about <laughs> all of the foul things of the earth. There was a particular red woman that the camera follows for a while. And I thought, okay, well, they're showing some pretty good cleavage on her. She clearly is, you know, easy on the eyes. And I, I guess she wins. So some red-headed woman in uh, Comes the Inquisitor that Jack Down hates. in the Zocalo. <laughs> I have no idea who she is at all. So that, that's my choice. You? Uh, I'm going to go with the lead. Really? Yeah. The head bone does it for me. Oh, gross. <laughs> it looks horribly taped on along the sides, though. I, I think I think Mira Furlan is a pretty woman. Uh, do you mean that in the form that she is a um, a prostitute? No. Oh. What? Pretty woman uh, walking down Never the saw street. That one. Pretty woman. Yeah, but you still got to know. Right. It's about prostitutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. uh, no, I don't find her attractive. I know you don't. That's too bad for you. Okay, uh, what about your, uh, let's see here, was it funniest moment? Yes. Uh, Veer, talking to Mr. Morden. You know what I want? I want to live just long enough that I can see them put your head on a pike and I'll wave at you just like this. Uh, that ended up being mine as well. It, it, it's truly one of the comedy highlights of Babylon 5, unfortunately. <laughs> The, the, I, this was another one that I had some trouble trying sure. to come up with because there's just not that much this has humor. Been, this has been a heavy season. Yeah. All right, Pete. Top five hated episodes. Okay. Uh, I mentioned this to begin with to say I found the exact same number of hated episodes as I found that I liked. Okay. So I don't know what that means as much to say 
maybe this is just a, a wash season for me. Um, so seven was the number that I came to, but you know I'll, I'll do my my five. Uh, so number five uh, was geometry of shadows. Okay, just n not a winner. Uh, number four is knives. Um, that's again the uh, Urza and Londo <laughs> thing. <laughs> um, number, excuse me. Number three is soulmates. The wives of Londo Malari um, just really oh, did okay. nothing for me at all. And I don't think it does anything for the story as well. I think you can get rid of that episode and okay. yeah, you don't need to worry about it ever again. Number two is The Long Dark. Uh, I can't even remember now what that one was about. I but either. <laughs> but I, I know it was one that uh, I, I didn't like. Um, crap. I feel like I should mention what, what it is. Oh, this is the one with the cryonic sleeper, the the lady who's been in the sleeper unit, the human woman. Oh yeah, it was the Doctor Franklin creepy. Hey, your husband just died. Want to make out? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I, I, that probably belongs on my list. It's not on there, but it should be. Because <laughs> if I remember correctly, the B plot wasn't that much better no, either. It was, it was Nothing was helping episode. that. And number one. Clearly, easily, um, I, I don't think we're going to get any problems with anyone thinking otherwise, comes the Inquisitor. Just the worst episode. <laughs> I can't believe you didn't see that coming. How could you not see that coming? <laughs> People, you just, you just missed the greatest look of, of complete and utter surprise. <laughs> just that wasn't surprise, that was betrayal. <laughs> This level of incredulity that I just uh, foisted on to Joey. Oh, my God. My heart stopped. <laughs> Do you need a minute there, Joey, to gather yourself? <laughs> no, but my real one is Gropos. That was really just poorly written, poorly incepted, and uh, Detilio should be smacked around liberally for having uh, uh, written that. <laughs> good, Pete. That's good. Right. How did I not see that coming? I don't know. You should know me well enough by now to not trust me. All right. What about your uh, hate, most hated episode, Joey? <laughs> All right. Uh, number five, I am giving to Geometry, Geometry of Shadows. Uh, number four is knives. It's, yep. It just doesn't play well. I like the I like the conceit of the episode, but it just didn't come come together for me. Number three is hunter prey. Hmm. That didn't even make my uh, short list. I, I gotta remember here now. Again, I'm I'm like you. I didn't make a note of. Why. It was one of the ones that was towards uh, right in the middle. Oh, that's the cost ship, um, the organic ship, Bull Shannon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's the doctor. It was the the for me. It was the plot about. The doctor who's hiding from President Clark. And yeah, the, the entire plot is just a little not plausible. Uh, number two was Spider in the Web, and number one was Gropos. A Spider in the Web. I know what I said. <laughs> okay, what about your favorite episodes? Uh, yeah, there's going to be some contention here. Number five for me is, and now for a word. Wow, I, I really like that episode. I find it very fun. That was my number seven hated episode. Really? Yes. Wow. Did not care for... Uh, number four is The Coming of Shadows. Okay. 
Number three is The Long Twilight Struggle. Okay. Number two, In the Shadow of Zahadum. Okay. And number one comes The Inquisitor. Mm. Okay. All good stuff. Except that, you know, <laughs> one you mentioned. Um, <clears throat> my favorite, uh, again, I had seven of these that I came up with. Number five for me is going to be Distant Stars. Okay. I liked that one. Uh, number four is The Long Twilight Struggle. Um, probably the same reasons you liked it. Number three, The Coming of Shadows, uh, I thought was well done. Number two is Fall of Night. Oh, really? Me. This, wow. this season, uh, Ender, yeah. what, honestly, I really enjoyed the sci-fi yeah. nature of it. It worked for me on several levels. And as a season finale episode, it really wraps up a lot of points and opens up just enough to lead into the next season. You know, I didn't think about that until just now, but I'm wondering if in the back of my mind somewhere, I'm penalizing a little bit because I didn't see it until the start of season three, and it does not play well as the start of a season episode. Wait, you, you saw that as the start of season when three? When they first aired these on television, the P10 network would hold over the season finale to the start of the next season. What? Yeah. So they would air no wonder they the went season under. finale and then the season opener as they were shot by J. Michael Straczynski as sequential episodes with the break before <laughs> the season is, finale. That is yeah. horrible. Oh, he, he goes on and on in the books about how stupid that was and how he just it just infuriates him to this day that they did that to him. But, I, you know, there's a possibility that in the back of my mind, it just didn't grab me because it was trying to start out a season on that note. Huh. Well, that's weird. Um, number one for me is uh, in, in the Shadow of Zaha Doom. Yeah. Uh, it was really just a stellar episode. And... Thoroughly enjoyed it. Best of the season. Okay, Pete. Uh, worst alien costume. Worst alien <laughs> costume, eh? I knew. I knew that you didn't have one for this rating, so I didn't write it up there. But I have one. I posted it to the Facebook page. It's Jimmy Durante as the Marcab Doctor. <laughs> that, that wasn't really Jimmy Durante, No, it though. wasn't. But it looks so much like him. It's like, how did nobody on the staff go, wait... We just made Jimmy Durante an alien. We need to adjust this costume a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but that costume wasn't bad. The, the Marcab guy? Ah, it's just... It, it, We've seen it far, far worse. It, it broke the the suspension of disbelief for me. To have him look that much like Jimmy Durante. Hmm. Okay. Uh, sorry. Favorite overall moment, Pete? Okay. Um, I had two that I kind of came up with. Um, the The one... I think they were kind of tied in my book. I think this one I'm mentioning first may have been a bit of an edge above, but because of the, the awkward nature of it, I, it wouldn't make good for us putting it on here, is the one perfect moment from, okay. uh, in, uh, I think, the, the Honor of Lies or something like that. You know, maybe we should find out if we can get that rights to use a clip of that as an intro. Oh yeah, that wouldn't be that wouldn't be too bad. But I, I really enjoyed that the entire scene because one, I, I think it's really great science fiction. Yeah, just super to have this mystery race that just dwells in this you know underground little thing all of a sudden have this beautiful uh, um, singing or chanting voice to them, and it opens the eyes of Sheridan in a in a small way to that you know affects him. Um, but I'm going to give my favorite moment to uh, Veer's Wish um, from uh, The Shadow of Zaha Doom. 
I absolutely love that scene. So why don't we go ahead and cue it up right now? Mr. Morton. Here. I was expecting Ambassador Malari. Uh, he was recalled to Centauri Prime for consultations about the war effort. And how is your war going? Why do you ask me questions when you already know the answers? Just making conversation. Here, sit. Sit. You don't like me, do you, Veer? I find this surprising. After all, my associates and I are doing everything we can to help your people reclaim their place in the galaxy. I should think you'd be grateful. Is there a reason you sent for me? I sent for Ambassador Malari. But you're here, he's not, and it can wait. If restoring the Centauri Republic means nothing to you, what does? What do you want? I'd like to live just long enough to be there when they cut off your head and stick it on a pike as a warning to the next ten generations that some favors come with too high a price. I want to look up into your lifeless eyes and wave like this. Can you and your associates arrange that for me, Mr. Morton? Here's the information Ambassador Malari asked for. Give it to him when he arrives. You can go now. Mr. Morton. Mm. So, Veer coming through <laughs> and being able to stand up to this guy that he clearly knows is evil and he has no problem saying exactly how he feels, I think it's great. Yeah, I made it as my funniest moment because it was really funny. Yeah. But still, I think that that is powerful stuff for Veer. And that, that, that'll get my favorite moment. I, I think you chose well. Um, unfortunately, I, I just I think it's clear that I can't choose the entire episode comes the Inquisitor. It just seems awkward for us to put the entire audio <laughs> on here. <laughs> um, so I, I wanted to I wanted to just give a cu couple of uh, options to myself here. Uh, I was looking at Ivanova's season wrap up comments, you know, about how sometimes peace is another word for surrender. I thought there was I thought there's some good stuff in that, and the Londo Jakar scene where Jakar is removed from the council, and that kind of last bit of spine that he shows as he walks out the door. But I think I'm going to end up on. Uh, I know you you didn't care for it as much as I did, but the Veer Jakar encounter in the elevator. I'm sorry. I wish um, there was something that I could do, but I tried telling them, but they wouldn't listen. I mean, they never listen. to them. I can't. Then I cannot forgive.
just really, really powerful. I, you know, I feel what Jakar is feeling. Andres, just the emotion, both Stephen first and Andres Katsoulis in that scene, really drive home the point for me. Um, wait, Stephen first? Yes. Okay, I think someone may have mistyped it as Faust. I don't know. I don't know him at all, and I've never seen him in anything else. But yeah, it, it's a good scene. I really enjoy seeing Veer with almost anyone in this cast. Yeah, he's a good actor. It, it's really the interesting part of to the, me. the character is good as well. When you stop and think about it, we have only known these characters really for forty-eight hours of real time, right? Well, actually, less than that. We've we've seen forty-four episodes, about forty to forty-five minutes in length overall. But it, they are such vibrant characters to us now already. And Veer and Jakar, Londo, you know, these people have really come to life in just two, two short seasons, in my opinion. Mm. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to season three and starting in to more of the conflict side of things and seeing some of the challenges that these characters are going to face. What it does to their relationships is it's going to be interesting. So... For those of you who haven't gone into season three yet, <laughs> and those of you who have... I think everyone's either seen it or is currently finishing it at this point. Well, to anybody else out there, uh, you know, join along with us and uh, let's, let's make season three awesome. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of The Homestarmy Presents Trek West 5. We hope that you've learned something, had some laughs, and we always invite your comments to our email at trekwest5 at thehomestarmy.com. Or you can tweet us at hashtag TrekWest5, or call and leave us a voicemail at 801-788-4913. So until next time, I am Joey. And I am Peter. And thanks for listening.